technically not turning. It's te- turning involves if a road stopping. intersects a road and it's like more than 30 degrees off that road. But it doesn't necessarily show any intersection. It just well, I guess there is an intersection there, but it's like we don't have to stop. <laughs> so it's like if I were to say we're going to get on a circle and we're going to go in a circle. So you're telling I wouldn't me be, though I would that be turning, but I wouldn't be turning. <laughs> I'd just be on the same road. It just has curves. You're telling me that this road we're going to be staying on is a bendy gonna, road. It's not going to change names. It's a bendy road. Okay. It doesn't appear so. <laughs> There's even a stop sign here at this There's, intersection. There so. is for them. We just keep going. Okay. See, this is a bendy road. This is called the on-ramp. <laughs> but we just keep going. See, we didn't even have to do anything. We just get our own lane. <laughs> Everything. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm going to... This is this is like the Transformers. One who was a Mack truck and one who was a flat front when he wasn't. So We're on the same page there. <laughs> we were both right, remember? Oh, yeah. We were right. Heidly Ho, neighbor. And then you said it was Heidi Ho. It is. We're it, both right. Technically, if you're referring to the Power Tools one, that's kind of like a weird slam against Heidi because they're calling Heidi a hoe. No. <laughs> no. But no, Heidi just... hoe, I think that's the more appropriate one. I, that's not even a word. Heidi hoe. Neither, is... neither one is a word. Let's just <laughs> leave it at that. And we are both right. It's okay. <sighs> that's the worst Sherwin Williams I've ever seen. Oh, it's a body shop. That's why. The things you see driving on two-lane highways out in rural Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Yep, mostly corn. It's probably sweet corn. All right, so we got about an hour to talk before we get to some chicken wings. One hour and 16 minutes. Probably an hour 15 and 32 seconds, but yeah. Well, we can we can fit in some conversation between now and then. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about chicken wings or do you want to talk about rifle setup? I think that the rifle setup. Sound, I mean, we already talked about chicken wings for 22. Actually, I talked about chicken wings for a few seconds. You started to look them up, and then you got distracted, and we went into a couple things. And a couple minutes later, I'm like, "Man, those reviews must be really good." Oh, I forgot all about those. I was looking and at the stock market. <laughs> yeah, I was looking just, at all kinds of stuff. <laughs> not on the wing topic. Nope. Um, right. Yeah, I like the idea of rifle setup. Um, specifically, I do too. rifle balance and making the most of your rifle to be more steady. Yeah, and and see more on target. Ergonomics, super important. Your your rifle, your chassis, your stock, everything about it has to be perfect for you. Um, and I like to call that area around your face, your workspace. I feel like your workspace needs to be neat, organized. Everything needs to be perfectly in view, hopefully, so that you don't have to take your face off the gun. Yeah. Um, I know it's Phil that's always saying, keep your face on the gun. I don't know if he started that or, or what, but... But that's true, man. If I don't have to pick my head up the, off, off the gun, everything's that much faster, and I can maintain the connection between my face and the rifle and look through <coughs> look through my scope the same way every time. So. so I'm interested in this topic because I think the thing that I feel most people want to understand about rifle setup and or it's called the, the after effects of rifle setup are I want to see more impacts. I want to see more trace. I want to see more insert things. Um, and I, I do feel that rifle setup, and we talked about chassis in a prior episode, just you know what we prefer and some of these details. But I, I want to focus on it if we can, like really beat down on what helps you see more between technique setup and proper, you know, pr- 
proper design for and fit of a rifle to help you get more impacts. I think that's a critical space that if you really wrap your head around it can help you a lot. I think that's 50% of it and that is the post effect of of after yes. the shot. I think we should also talk about the fact that a properly set up rifle will allow you to make a better shot in the first place. I would agree with that. Okay. So which direction do you want to start from? Um, let's start with making a good shot. So, and I think there's a, it's going to kind of weave in and out of, yeah. you know, not only seeing things, but what leads up to seeing things and how you set it up. So first of all, let's say, you know, we both run chassis and you run an MPA. I mm-hmm. run an MDT. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm using the new ACC. You're using which one? The BA comp. BA comp. Um, the, from all the testing that I've done up to this point, I noticed that chassis, generally speaking, have a very low CG when they're on a bag. So if you put them, from, we're going to talk mainly shooting positional because I think prone or modified prone, you know, it realistically, we'll get there towards the end maybe, but let's start with the yeah, positional it's less, shots. Yeah, it's less picky because yeah, you you're just connected to the earth. Drive the rifle hard, you probably yeah. will see it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people struggle. This road is really bumpy. It's like the perfect amount of. Uh, yeah, you should move over to the next lane, I'm, maybe. I'm going. I kind of want to, but I also don't want to be that guy. It doesn't look. There's any nobody whole, behind us. Doesn't us, look any it? better. No, nope, we're good. Oh, this is, is better. way better. Yeah, less semis. Um, but the the rifle setup when you're on a bag and you're trying to get a rifle to track. You know, to me, when I think of rifle setup, I think of how well does your rifle track inside of a bag or from a position after you get it to NPA and you get your body square and NPA to the rifle, does the rifle track dead straight to the rear? And if it does not, either you influenced it or something about the rifle is influencing it or your interface of the two are influencing its motion. So you say dead straight, I've never had a shot that didn't move somewhere. Yeah, dead straight to me is within two tenths. Okay. Two to three tenths left or right is, is for all effective purposes, dead straight to me. Yeah, I just want to put some bookends on it um, so that people understand that for me, a positional um, sight alignment after recoil is usually a mil to two mil over the target. Yeah, that's about where mine is. I would say close to a mil. Um, You know, and I know for a fact, I, I mean, having practiced it a lot as of late, the your ability to drive the rifle you can drive it to zero move, movement mm-hmm. like virtually zero from almost i'm going to say almost any position something that has a stable prop or a stable shooting position from a rock or a table or a tank trap or something that you can really load into the rifle and bear down on your front hand and your shoulder you can minimize vertical movement to virtually nothing or or negative um, in fact i was shooting back and forth between a carbon fiber 10 pound rifle a dasher with a full suppressor on it and my comp gun and after shooting 20 30 rounds with my carbon hunting rifle and trying to drive it to within two mils that was extraordinarily hard by the way um and then moving to my comp gun my first shot on the comp gun was 2.5 mils under the target using the same pressure and technique i had to use to keep the other rifle from going five mils 10 mils above the target that's not great either no. So this brings up something that I think we've talked about, consistency. You know, we we have other setups and we have other rifles we use, but we can train with equipment that is too different from our existing platform 
so that we end up with the wrong fundamentals or overdriving, over manipulating a rifle when we go back to our comp gun. And that's exactly what I found when I was shooting it. It was, I was, the reticle was diving down because I was hurting, was trying to hold the rifle so still, so hard, so still that I would have to almost force it below the target in order to keep it near the target during the shot. Um, whereas when I went to my comp gun, you know, you just, it doesn't take a whole lot of pressure to keep it level on target and it was overdoing it. So I think that's just a cautionary tale. You know, if you're building a rifle system from what you have now to something else, you could easily build something different enough that you don't, you see a dramatic effect. I also have seen where that dramatic effect disappears as you get more and more lax on the rifle, which happened to me. Yeah. And you're saying it's not super productive for you to be training on something that's like super dissimilar from your current comp setup. Yeah. Without recognizing your, the limitations of what you're training to. So good example, I train with a uh, six, five Creed more that is as skinny barrel, no weights, and it has a lot more recoil. It has a break. Um, it's about 17 pounds versus 23, 22, 23 pounds on my comp gun. And it's a dasher at 23 pounds versus a 6.5 at about 17. That difference is pretty monumental, but it's not so much. The chassis are identical. Just one has weights, one doesn't. And But the difference in feel is pretty minimal other than just a bigger push, a sharper blast, and some other things. However, going to my hunting rifle, that's a dramatically different feel. That grip angle is different. The forend is different. The buttstock and length of pull are slightly different because it's set up for, you know, bulky clothing in the wintertime and i i would not want to train that with my hunting rifle for a comp unless i know specifically what i'm trying to do meaning i'm sending a few rounds with my hunting rifle to see really aggressive recoil relatively speaking it doesn't kick hard it just moves off target quickly um something that's super responsive so that i can manipulate the rifle and see an extreme amount of motion to figure out okay am i overdriving it to the right is my shoulder driving it to the right? Am I pushing down? Am I approaching it from the right angle at the rear? Am I supporting the rear with my right hand? Like I'm looking for very small things to, to find where I'm lacking fundamentals. Then I'll switch back to my comp gun and repeat a shot with similar fundamentals, adding some, say, right hand support or shoulder pressure and watch what the difference is. Yeah, so, so I think you're talking about all the outputs of a properly set up rifle or rifle differences. Mm-hmm. So like, let's just go through the rifle from back to front, the the different elements that you can adjust or you should be able to adjust and why and how to adjust those things. Do you want to do that? Sure. Okay. So starting with the butt, the butt stock, both of our butt stocks have adjustability in and out and up and down, correct? Yes. Yeah. So length of pull. Up and down and left and right. Can't. Yeah. So length of pull is something that's I want to say user specific, but I also want to say like positional or um, position specific sometimes, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. It, so it how very do you set much your changes. So I, I set mine specifically for. I want to be able to get into a completely tall. So and I'm a little different than somebody else, right? You have to analyze your own weaknesses or strengths or potentials, uh, potential weaknesses. I'm shorter. I'm like five nine, and with that most of the props we shoot are pretty decent height and I don't feel like I'm stretching, but there are times where I get to a prop that's right at my vertical limit and I have to stand so upright. I don't want to be fully encumbered and I have to, I want to be able to blade just a little, little 
at, in those tallest stretch positions. So I'll set it up for just a little less than the tallest position I think I can get to, where I'm my length of pull and my eye relief set me up to the very, very back of the eye box while I'm touching my shoulder in a just lower than the tallest position I can comfortably reach. So you set your length of pull and, and your scope at the same time? Uh, yes. Well, length of pull starts with an approximate um, all the way forward. I, my scope, uh, because of the rings I'm using, is as far rearward as I can get it at the moment. Um, so I'll set my length of pull short because the when you're fully standing, you have the closest eye. Your eye is as far. I'm sorry. Your eyes as far away from the scope as it's going to be while you're fully standing. As you go prone, it gets as close to the scope from your shoulder as it can be. And I don't want to be. I don't want to set up my rifle for prone and then get to standing and have that gray shadowy box where I can't see through it without craning my neck. So most of my rifles are set up around a a fairly tall standing position, and then I accommodate everything in between there. Okay. Down, down to prone, so to speak. Yeah, so I think um, I'll do both. I kind of ignore the scope until I feel like I've got the length of pull set to where I want it, and I might even not even have it on there, but I definitely do it in the standing position, like you're saying, mm-hmm. most direct. And I square up to the rifle and then make sure my shoulders are square to the, the bore, and the, the stock itself, and then find a good ergonomic position for me to be. Uh, my I don't have the same scope. I don't have the same scope issue that you have because I've got really long arms and I can reach all over the place that I want to reach. So yeah, you have a um, longer neck, and the neck issue is the one that I fight the most. Yeah, and I've tried. I try to. I've tried the old school method where they say hold your arm up and put it in the crook of your elbow and stick your you know hand out and wherever your trigger finger lies is, is roughly your length of pull. But I find that like an inch shorter than that almost is where I need to be. Yep. Um, and then I will not, I don't make that like a hard and fast um, number because depending on how much clothing you're wearing and the different scenarios, you might need to be even shorter. Um, I'll find myself getting into the rifle and not having enough shoulder into it. And usually it's because ergonomically that's where my head and my, my arms want to be to square up to the rifle. Um, but my length of pull's too short. So as soon as I feel that start happening throughout a match or throughout a practice session, I'll just put a couple clicks and, and lengthen it out. So for me, it's it's a dynamic thing that I don't think I don't think you really know until you start shooting. I don't know how, yeah. how else to describe that. I don't think you really know it's right for you until you start shooting. But the way to check to make sure your scope and your your length of pull is set correctly is just when you get on the rifle with your eyes closed in, in all positions. Is it, and you open your eyes, do you have good eye relief in the scope? And is your body able to be square to the rifle, your shoulders? Yeah, I think that is the perfect test. And that's the one that I run. I stand up, get as comfy as I can, open my eye. Am I with at the very rear limit of the eye box while I'm standing? Yes. Go prone. Close my eyes, do the same thing. Am I at the front edge of the eye box while Mm -hmm. I'm prone? And if the answer is, normally I'll find that I'm a little forward of the front of the eye box between the extreme upper and extreme lower position. That's that's a challenge, but I'm willing to accept some, let's call it forward of the eye box position in a prone shot because Mm -hmm. I can back off the rifle slightly or just lengthen my length of pull. And again, this is a really good reason as to why an adjustable length of pull, like on the fly, an easily adjustable length of pull is important i think that's your phone oh okay um, yeah because you, <laughs> you kept turning like, it down is, and i'm like what? mine's pretty easy um it's so with that there we go 
with an adjustable length of pull that you can set on the fly pretty easy, I do adjust it frequently, and I have a setting that's marked for, let's call it positions, and then what it would be if I know I'm shooting an all-prone stage, I'll move it out a quarter to a half an inch just to give myself a more correct um, length of pull to support the rifle. Yeah, and you should know what it feels like when it's not right. Yeah. Yeah, and you should also know when it's not locked down, so you have to remember that if you are moving it on the fly, you have to lock it back down. Um, Ask me how I know. I bit myself on the neck. I was going prone hard into a position, and I collapsed the thing and got a neck fold. Literally just bit me right down into the... That's what that mark is. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but if you do have something that's adjustable, the point is make sure you adjust it to fit you. If you need to adjust it on the fly, do it. But remember that you have to lock it down and that you made an adjustment. So it's just another thing to keep in mind and remember. Um, But from there, length of pull and eye relief go hand in hand. You can't change one without potentially changing the other. Correct. And that is something that's hard because you could, if you think about it, you could move your length of pull longer as long as you can continuously pull your scope back. You'd be good to go. Except now all of the scope's weight is further rearward. Vice versa, if the scope, if you move it all shorter, you could move your scope further forward and still maintain a decent eye relief and length of pull, but the trigger relationship to your rear shoulder is now much tighter, and it might be awkward for your right hand Mm -hmm. to support the rifle or make a good trigger press without tension in your hand and your arm, for that matter, um, if you get too close. So it's kind of a balance between there, but I definitely default to shorter as opposed to longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then from there, you got the cheek riser. Um, I used to put, like, the weight of my head on my rifle. I do not do that anymore. Um, That was a trial and error thing for me, just watching how my reticle moved, even in the prone position with cheek pressure on the rifle, even if I had the bag smashed down or or compressed all the way. I would still have more elevation issues when I had the weight of my head on my rifle. And it becomes harder to get consistent cheek weld the more you have to apply the pressure and it it gets worse when you go from the prone up into a positional type position where there's not anything underneath the stock so anytime i see pictures of people where the side of their face is like scrunched up and bulging out i'm like okay like that's in my opinion that's um counterproductive to precision from a a modified you know an improvised type position off of a bag so mine is as low as it can go. I honestly would appreciate it to go maybe a quarter inch lower. So I might mill down the chassis and notch it out or something and make it go a little bit lower. Yeah, mine is the same way. It's as low as we could make it, and it's as low as I could get it. Um, and it's for the exact same reason you said, right? Your head, the human head weighs somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, I think 12 pounds, 8 to 12 pounds, um, which is pretty significant. So if you're supporting two, three, four pounds within a few inches of the very back of the rifle, keep in mind, if you were to take your weights and you have a weighted chassis, if you could put four pounds at an equidistant away from the CG point forward as you do rearward with your head weight, your rifle would feel like it's going to tip over on you. Mm -hmm. And we move CGs and we make a rifle balance better with just, you know, a half a pound of weight to a pound of weight in the right places. Uh, so two to three pounds in, inconsistently. One time you're putting two that's, to three pounds big thing too. of uh, pressure downward on the cheek piece. Another time from a different position, you're five or six pounds. That's going to make a huge difference in not only what you see, but how the rifle reacts, where your shots end up on target downrange, and, 
and whether or not you even see them in the first place. Oh, there's one more thing we skipped that I, I brought up that we never touched on is the butt the butt pad itself uh, adjusting oh. up, down, left, right, and butt pad material. Um, I'm not a huge fan of anything that's like super soft, super sticky. I know you've experimented with 3D printed stuff and different c- composites or whatever on the butt pad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want it to stick and feel spongy because I don't want it to grab my shirt or whatever when I'm trying to you know get the rifle settled in the bag and stuff like that and I don't want it to build up pressure after during or after recoil that could release I just I, I like a firmer butt pad the old school um, MPA butt pads are kind of rounded off but kind of smooth at the same time so they just they're, they're not as grabby mm-hmm. um, and then up and down I, I have mine a couple clicks up and it's mainly because I don't want to get on top of that buttstock in the prone position because you can cause that same elevation issue if you have your clavicle sitting on top of the back of your stock. You definitely yep. want to have it in front of your shoulder. Not You don't want to be laying on your rifle at all. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Um, but we differ. I diff- definitely differ a little bit in the materials in that I'm willing to explore it. I'm still on the fence about what it's done, but I have gravitated more and more towards something that's softer rather than harder. Um, and the main reason is I, I feel like there is a, uh, a consistency that you gain by having something that's softer. If it's hard, so, you, I mean, it's pretty easy to explain. If you have something that's really hard, anything you do um, to the back of the buttstock where you touch it will almost instantly be transferred to the muzzle. So let's imagine you're, you touch the back of the buttstock with something hard, and it's hard, like call it hard-on-hard contact. We try to avoid that all the time, right? That's why we use a soft bag in the middle of the chassis so that it's not hard on a hard rock or hard on a hard metal. Um, at the rear, if it's hard, it translates, and left and right pressure translates immediately to the front. If it's up and down or in to out, you also get some, some let's call it, forces. If they're just ever so slightly balanced and you're like, you're just off of axis, and the rifle recoils, if it then hits something hard, it's going to want to glance. Right? And Your body must be harder than mine. I got I meat just, on my bones. I got a clavicle that <laughs> likes to stick out, and there's not a whole lot there. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's probably something to this. I mean, if you notice... I think it's worth exploring. A lot of the people who are, you know, shooting really well and are very good positionally tend to be bigger guys. And I'm not saying that, that small shooters don't have an advantage because there's definitely a lot of good shooters. Morgan's not a big dude. Um, I'm not a big dude. Sanoski. Sanoski's not a big dude. Well, he's got some padding. Uh, he's a little taller than me, I think. Um, but Tate Streeter, I mean, the guy, when you see him shoot, it just looks like the rifle don't move. Um, Greg Bell, same thing. And they're not huge dudes, but they're just, they have more mass up on their shoulders uh, in their clavicle and shoulder area. And I think that can be useful. So I've been pr- playing around with different materials on my buttstock just to see if I can make a difference in what I see and how fast the rifle reacts to some contact with my rear, my shoulder at the contact point. Um, and different materials, and it's been pretty cool to, to play with. So, I've been pleasantly surprised with it. So, yeah. And then forward to that, both of us have also, some type yeah, of. I also go up, so I tend to air about a half inch up, quarter inch up. Yep. So and both. square, not left or right tilted. That's something that I I've seen people do this. Look, if you shoot always right-handed, by all means. But there is no way you can tell me that it's not affecting you at some weird position that you can't get perfectly square. My thought on the kilt, like canted butt pads that go left and right is that's a bad idea. Just 
not a good idea in general for the types of versatile shooting we shoot. Mm-hmm. If you're just shooting prone, by all means, make it fit to you. If you're just shooting off a bench, by all means, make it fit to you. I don't think it's the best idea, especially what happens when you go weak side, if you ever have to. It's going to feel awkward. Those so. targets are normally bigger, and you could probably find a workaround, but I agree with you. I'm not trying to... Um, I, I I actually agree with you. I'm just saying like yeah. those those targets usually are a lot easier to hit. Sometimes. Yeah. But, I mean, look at the skill stage, two, number two. I think it is the target's the same size. One and a half MOA? <laughs> yeah, it's, yep. a sm- it's a small-ish target from the support side. So Yeah, same thing with the cheek piece. There are some st- uh, that have the ability to move left and right across the center line. No, thanks. I keep those dead center for the exact same reason. I want to be able to feel uniform from the left and the right-hand positions no matter what. Um, there's an argument to be made that, if again, this is why if you have it in a lower position, this is why the lower cheek height positions seem to help with pressure. Um, if you reduce the amount of pressure, you're also reducing the amount of lateral pressure. So if you have something that sticks out, you don't need to move it as far left or right to get a good cheek weld, or in our case, almost a jaw weld. Have you seen uh, Chris Simmons' cheek riser? Um, I cannot say that I have. All right, I need to look that up and ask him about that because I just saw it this week. It's basically like a saddle in the middle, like front to back. It's low in the middle and high on the ends, and I'm guessing it's so that he doesn't have hardly any lateral uh, sideways cheek pressure. He's still got a reference point, but it kind of curves around his jaw, which I don't know. I'm, I'm all for experimenting with your ergonomic interface which is you know the stock chassis all that stuff that allows you to be calm relaxed build your bone support and make a good make a good trigger press and Mm -hmm. so that that's i saw a picture of that and that was interesting to me um next four to that is the grip and most grips on chassis can be adjusted the mdt1 has angle and forward back i think and does it go up and and down as well uh, it does not. Okay. So you got some some ability to move that around, and kind of what's the philosophy with that, I guess? Some people like it angled, some like it forward. I think the trend now is to be more forward than backward. Yeah, it, I think so, but I, I can't really say. I, my own personal preference on that is find something that feels comfortable, and I've actually been manipulating this quite a bit over the last six months, to find something that feels comfortable in more positions where I can be neutral to the rifle while also utilizing, we'll get to this, but stopping recoil and helping guide recoil slash rifle manipulation. Um, there are some things you can do with your right hand and your rear, your right hand, right arm, shoulder, and left hand that will all work in concert to help reduce recoil. So I've been playing with my right hand angle grip, uh, the angle of the grip and the position of the grip to help get the most recoil control but also the most ergonomic trigger at the same time it's a balance of the two one can be really great for trigger press but it doesn't let you use your hand at all for recoil control or manipulation of the rifle the other one can be really really good for control of the rifle but really bad for your trigger Mm -hmm. so yeah i personally don't believe in controlling recoil with my right hand but to each their own I, (laughs) i like a perfect 90 degree trigger press and to be quite honest i barely have I don't have any sideways pressure on the grip, and I pull back into my shoulder um, mm-hmm. with the grip hand. So, I mean, that's all personal preference. I'm just very nervous to impart any torque into the system um, that goes unnoticed in radical movement but is exposed under recoil. Mm-hmm. And that's why I know there's a lot of people, I think you use a thumb shelf. I personally don't like a thumb shelf. And I've, I make my own grip because I made what I wanted, and people have 
requested that and and bought that for me uh quite a few and some people love it um there's a few people that end up not liking it but i I, honestly i made it for myself so i'm not trying to really sell it i just have people ask me about it and then there's been people that say hey you should modify it this way and modify it that way and i don't want to come off as a jerk or anything but like i there's a lot of grips out there and for for um for the MPA chassis, I think that fills yeah tons vertical of grip options. I think like ver- the vertical grip is pretty damn good. I, I like it. I just want my grip hand to be farther forward. Like the three fingers below the trigger, in my opinion, should be farther forward. They should be almost in line, if not in line with the trigger. And that's just my personal preference. And like I said, it's your ergonomic interface. Um, do what you will with it. But I think it's worth. I think it's worth exploring from an ergonomics perspective to see how how your groups and how your point of impact shift could happen if you had a different grip hand i feel like it's underlooked and under understood not understood um and i think it's because i shoot a lot of paper that i I expose that from my own deficiencies it was a big weakness for me Mm -hmm. um so i guess right above the grip would be the trigger itself um what trigger weight do you run about a pound. About a pound. I'm and 14 at, to 16 ounces. I run seven ounces. Um, so we've got a disparity there. You use a curved pro curve or flat or what pro do you curve. use? Okay, pro curve. Me too. Yep. Trigger tech pro curve. To be quite honest, I think that the flat shoe for me might be a better way to go. I'm just so used to the pro curve and I love it. I have no reason to change it. But ergonomically, I feel like the straight flat shoe trigger has that little bump on the bottom. And it would allow my trigger finger to be lower on the trigger and closer to the other three fingers. So there's not, there's less of a separation between yeah. my top finger and my second finger. Hey, but you don't I, need to use your hands. They can't see it. I know. I'm just showing you to make sure you understand. <laughs> I, I had to do I, it. I looked over he at you to make sure. called me out for that so many times. I had to do it. But I just wanted to make sure that you were understanding me. I feel like that's the only deficiency yeah. in my current setup. And I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm just saying it's the only thing that when I look at my hand in a picture that doesn't feel and look totally relaxed is the fact that my first finger is separated by my second finger, separated away from my second finger. It goes up a little bit to get to the trigger. But if I had a flat shoe with that little bump at the bottom, I could slide it all the way down and it would be less of a gap. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's some possibility there. I I really prefer the pro curve um, because it does Mm self-center and where the, you know, the flat shoe has that bump, you can put your, the bump in a specific spot. And as long as you're aware of where that is, you know, dead center on your finger or, you know, just riding on the outer, like the lowest portion of your finger before you get off the trigger itself, you know, almost your fingernail. I think riding on the actual trigger guard would be pretty, pretty awesome. Like sliding on the trigger guard up until you touch that little bump. I played with that years ago with ARs. I had a flat face. I had a couple of different hyper, a hyper fire 24 C and a couple of others. What I didn't like about it. And granted that wasn't an AR, not a, not my chassis. Mm -hmm. When you, depending on the conditions, you could feel water, sweat or dirt would change the friction on the bottom of your finger as it's contacting the trigger guard. And so as you're pulling the trigger, you can almost feel it grabbing one day and then it just, you don't feel anything the next, or you feel it sliding like it's wet. I didn't like that. So I started switching over back to curves and immediately found that I felt more consistency without having that secondary input. You have pressure on the tip of your finger through the trigger, but I didn't like the secondary input of weird pressure on the underside of my finger. 
mm-hmm. if that makes sense. You have, yeah. now have two points of contact, and it distracts yeah, my brain from that absolute perfect break point. Well, that's probably the main reason I haven't switched, is there's probably unknowns that I would encounter if I did try to switch. And it'd be a waste of time for me, because there's absolutely nothing wrong with my current trigger shoe. I run the trigger tech diamond yep. with the Pro Curve. I set it every time at 7 ounces with a pull weight gauge, but to be quite honest, I can, I can set it without that. I use my first knuckle on my uh, trigger finger, and as that straightens out, when I start putting pressure, that's right about at that six ounce mark, and five, six ounces, and once that's straightened out, I press a little farther, and then it breaks. Yeah. Um, One thing that we haven't talked about before, which is right above the trigger, which is the bolt knob, and there's so many different bolt knobs you can get. I know Area 419 makes one. There's uh, the standard that comes with all the different actions and even some of the actions like Defiance, they have uh, yeah, like different options versions, that you can yeah. choose from. You shoot, Impact, I shoot, Lone Peak, and they both have the same bolt knob. I know you used to put grip tape on your knob. Still do. You do. still do that, okay? Mm-hmm. So which side, how are you doing that? I personally leave mine naked. Um, yeah, so I do, I use skateboard grip tape. Actual, um, like, sandpaper style? Yeah, say, sandpaper cow. style. I know it sounds aggressive, and don't <laughs> worry, don't get me wrong, it sucks for the first like, I've got that days. same stuff, but it's rubberized. I should give you some. Um, so I, I prefer to sand because I have tried some of the rubber, and it just, it's not as aggressive, which I don't like. I'll explain why. Okay. I, all I do is take a piece of sandpaper, or sorry, not sandpaper, that's what it is. Grip tape. Grip tape. Um, I'll take a flat uh, screwdriver, a big, the big honkering ones, um, and I'll just burnish or buzz oh, off the top to bit. break down the sharp edges on the top of the paper. That I makes mean, sense. It's pretty grippy off the get-go, but by breaking that down, it's still aggressive. But within one to two days of practice, it's grippy, but it's not like... It is almost take your fingerprints off grippy initially. That goes away within a day or two. Um, and I'll do that simply on the most of the bottom side, like the bottom half of the, of the uh, bolt handle, mainly because on the way up... I noticed under wet conditions, or if I was running the bolt quickly, when I transition from finger, my top of my right finger up, and then I start to pull back, there's a moment where you can almost miss the bolt as you're transitioning to that pinch. I think anybody who runs the bolt kind of knows what I mean. You go up with all your fingers, then you sort of grab it with your three fingers like you're holding a pencil almost. Run it to the rear, and now you start to slide it forward. Well, in that transition of rear... I would miss the bolt handle ever so slightly um, or come out of contact with it. And I didn't like that. So I added some you grip to the You only have it underside. on the bottom edge? Uh, the bottom, yeah. It's like the bottom, th- call it three quarters of it to half of it, if you will. I so really when you go forward it. and lock it down, the it's The top smooth. edge is smooth. So okay. I can go push from the rear with grip. And as soon as it comes to cam down, by the time my thumb is on top of the bolt handle, it's smooth again and it just slides right off. Yeah. Yeah, so, that makes sense to me. I... I really personally love the the bolt handles on the Impact and the Lone Peak. The the grooves around them to me they're just aggressive enough so that uh, that doesn't happen to me. I had other bolt knobs like the Defiance <coughs> that were all polished and super smooth, and that would happen in uh, yeah. conditions where my hands are sweaty or or there's a little bit of precipitation. So um, yeah, I understand why you do it. I've tried it because I tried after I saw it on yours. I tried it. I'm like, holy cow, this is like a, a grind. You know, a disc grinder. disc sander on my freaking hand. Yeah. <laughs> And it, it definitely was a, a an experiment that ended up sticking around. Cool. Um, I've seen people put O-rings in those grooves, by the way, too, so they're positive instead too. of negative. Yeah, and I, again, I, I want the very top to be smooth. I think there is something to the top being smooth for my own use because I do like to run the bolt quickly when needed, and I don't want any interference 
to grip and kind of, I don't know, throw yeah. me off a cadence. So the grippy and then smooth makes sense for me because I want to be able to run it up where I have the least amount of friction and I need to stay in contact because I still have to control it. By the time I get forward and pull down, I want to be able to get rid of it and get back onto the grip. So okay. pretty simple, but that's a thing. A 60-degree versus 90-degree and just as a small equipment choice. I've tried 60s. I have one on my... They're very fast. I just really for long for short actions i really think the 90 is is where it's at once you get used to the flick and how it runs it works really really well but um you know what 60 I think? versus 90 six of one half dozen of the other no it's not six of one half dozen of the other <laughs> <laughs> i don't 90 like degree is the only way in my opinion yeah it's fast i don't like telling people it can what be to do. fast but Everybody. i mean if you really like a 60 degree go ahead i just think there's something short about it that i'm not a fan of personally i've migrated away from it i don't like it on my cz as much it's just fast with a 22 but i don't know that if you have to elongate the stroke to get to clear and eject the round a 60 just feels like you move your whole arm i'm not sure like how to explain this it feels like you're pulling my whole arm kind of like a straight pull more mm-hmm. so than it does on a 90 where i just roll my wrist and flex at the elbow don't get me wrong i've felt some pretty smooth 60 degrees but I don't know what makes one smooth from the same brand and manufacturer and the same model of a different action. The same brand, same model, feel different. I just, I, if you grab an impact or a lone peak, like the throw feels the same. They all feel the all same. All the way yeah. through the stroke, every action feels the same when you get a brand new one. They don't take any, require any break in really. Um, they just, they just run and it's predictable. And from an engineering perspective, um, if you're doing the same amount of work, which is, you know, moving the cocking piece and um, interfacing with the trigger and extracting the round, the, all that activity is still happening regardless of the action. If you're doing it in less of an angle, then it is going to take more force. Yes. In that short duration. Over so, a very short period of time. Yeah. So I feel like if the action ninety is 90 degrees and it's the camming action is designed right, um, which the actions out today are just phenomenal. Um, it's going to, overall, long-term, it's going to feel smoother mm-hmm. uh, on bolt open and bolt close. That's just my my opinion. I'm sure people have done measures on it, and it's hard to, without doing it on hundreds and hundreds of actions, say that one design is better than another. I don't know if people have done that study or not, but I just intuitively, I feel like a 90 degree is going to have less hitch in its step because it's just got more angle to do the same amount of work. Yep. Um, so once we get past bolt throw, and we, all the stuff from that point, you know, really the rifle uh, scope's position is part of your balance point as well. Mm-hmm. So I think the next most important would be weighting and other accessories. And there's really not a lot we can do unless you choose your barrel profile. Here's the problem with barrel profiles. Once you build it, you're stuck with it. <laughs> so yeah. you only get to do it once and then you go, I don't like that. So should I go from a straight down to an M24? Ooh, tried an M24. Ooh, that's too light. Okay, I need in between. Now you're starting to get into the custom zone where it can take longer to get things turned. Um, you may, they may be harder to find, or you have to have someone custom turn it. I, this is a really hard section to talk about. I've just built rifles around straights now because they're faster to get. I do less work and make it run. So I've built balance points around a straight taper and worked with length so that when I feel like if I get it exactly the way I want and I still can't make it balanced the way I want, I can always consider I'm going to take two inches off the next barrel. And then the next one, I'll remember, I didn't like that. I'm going to go one inch more. 
I don't care about the length as to what it really is. I just want to know that the balance point is exactly where I want it on the rifle. And which brings us, I think, to everything that happens from the forward section of the magwell past it. This is where things start to really get, you know, influential in how the rifle recoils. Also, how it recoils up, not only vertically, but also laterally. Um, and then also how well it balances, how much wobble you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the weight balance, the footprint underneath, the width of the chassis. You know, you can put those Baker wings on the uh, MDT. You can put a plate under it. You yeah, can, the Matrix. The heavy. Matrix Pro really has wide. it built in. The Matrix Original has the side rails you can put on it. Those are all features and adjustable, in my opinion. You know, those are all elements that you can adjust your ergonomic interface as well as the balance point of the rifle. And I think it's awesome that these chassis companies have listened to the shooters and come out with options because not everybody's the same. Yeah. Everybody's a little different. Um, You know, in my case, so let's go into the specifics because I really think we should spend some time diving into seeing more rifle balance, making better shots as a result of tinkering with balance points. Yeah. Because that's kind of where this original question came from. Um, I've, you've noticed that when I shoot, most often I have my bipod still on my rifle. Also, we both shoot Mavericks. So we have, in terms of my Maverick, my Maverick's always on the muzzle. So there's about 14, 15 ounces. That's always at the 26 inch point of the muzzle forward. So I have a one pound weight already out on the muzzle to help balance out the rifle. And then I have a Skypod um, that's sitting sitting underneath, and I have it the position exactly marked where I shoot from my bipod, so that it's it's got a sharpie marker on both sides of the chassis, so that I can reference where the back edge of this this uh, bipod where it mates to the Arca is supposed to be. I know that from that point, the rifle balances the way I want when it's attached, and it's in it's exactly where I want it to shoot well from prone, so that. If I go into a position that needs to go prone, bag, prone, bag, I don't have to move the bipod front, fore and aft if I can avoid it because I want to have the best prone shots possible and I want to have the best balance point possible. The point that I've marked on the chassis represents the area where all of the forces on that rifle, the balance point, are as symmetrical as I can make them for the way that I shoot my rifle. Mm-hmm. So, and for me, I generally leave my bipod on. And I get this question uh, a couple times, actually, you know, a year. Do you shoot with your bipod on or off from, a, say, a position? And the answer is on most of the time. Although uh, I'm tinkering with it off as I play with some weighting things. I try to leave it on because I want to have a rifle that's as uniform, as uniformly the same as much, as, as much of the time as possible. And I felt like I can leave it on more often than I have to take it off. If you, I think you see where I'm going with that, right? Yeah. If if it is on all the time and it's always the same, it adds some stability because there's something to be said for mass that's further away from your center of gravity. When I what I mean by that is your balance point of your rifle is at some position. When things go, when mass goes further away from that, i.e., forward towards the muzzle, the more mass you have, the higher moment of inertia you have. And for that, when you try to twist it left or right or rock it up and down you slow down how fast or how much energy it takes to move it off of the position you are in. So if it's dead stable for a second and there's a lot of, there's not very much mass, but then I did the same type of motion, but added more mass to the front, it would be dead stable for a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And that's the best way I can describe how you would use balance point to affect your ability to stay stable on target. 
So I would say um, I differ from you in this point because I balanced my rifle intentionally without the bipod because I don't want to yep. have a different scenario when I want to have when I have to have the bipod off to shoot a stage. And my chassis is a little bit shorter than yours, and so and my bipod is monstrous and has sled feet. So, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so that's the bipod yeah. I shoot the most. It's the Accutec WB4 with the sled feet. And when you fold that thing up, man, the thing gets pretty wide. Um, and now that I'm shooting the uh, Armageddon gear plus one plus one, mm-hmm. it has a bigger footprint. So I'm nervous with the shorter chassis that I could get to a point where the bipod's interacting with the bag and it's in a, in a way that I don't like it, you know? Yeah. So I do take my bipod off 95% of the time if I'm, if I'm doing anything other than prone. But that's just mine, and I've already planned on my balance point to be without that's, it. And that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, even, even though we're different, we're actually doing the same we're thing. We're thinking about it the we're same way. We're planning for the balance point and yep. which scenario we're going to encounter the most. That is a conscious choice. As long as you know why you're doing it, that's the biggest part. Why mm-hmm. am I doing this? I've tested it. This makes the most sense. And you can prepare. Okay, so now I need to practice with it off and know how it reacts differently. So that's just a simple drill on your range and paper, you know, on sort of a intermediately wobbly prop. Now, I don't mean wobble like it's not stationary, just something that has more sensitivity to front and rear pressure, mm-hmm. i.e. not off of a rock with full bag contact. Do it off of a 2 by 4 that's sideways or uh, a cattle gate that's cemented into the ground. That'll tell you right away if you're fighting something with or without a bag set up properly. Mm -hmm. So I guess you mentioned, I think you mentioned that your rifle is 23 pounds. Yeah, I'd have to reweigh it. It was, um, I've tinkered with some things. I pulled out a small weight that I had inside. So I'm probably closer to 21 now. Okay. So 21 to 22 pounds. I'm at 23. Um, I have the internal MPA weight kit and I also have the gray ops, those little dog bone weights. Mm -hmm. So with that MPA BA comp chassis, it is a relatively narrow footprint and I've tried the weights or sorry, I've tried the plates. Um, I don't really care for them because I don't think that I can settle into the bag quick enough. Agreed. And I understand that you can, and I used to shoot with the plate. I shot with it for a whole season, and I yep. did quite well. And we still have them. We yeah. both still keep I carry, them. I carry the Grabs um, Mini Plate Pro in my bag, but I don't use it to shoot off positionally. I only use it as a front support bag holding option. Um, and I have... Well, I don't want to say that. I don't. Because I did at you the do, last k I know. I was match. just going to say that. We yeah. found there's a really specific times it can be very useful to have a plate. So yeah. when we're shooting off of something that's got to be panned left yeah. to right with large pans, and it's a very stable prop, but you're staying in the same position, mm-hmm. that can be really useful to have a plate because the wide surface area lets you pivot left to right quickly without creating a large groove or footprint in the bag. Mm-hmm. So when you pan, you're not torquing the bag as you pan as much as you would if you had driven your rifle into a bag, and now you have to move, say, 20 degrees to the left. And the bag's fighting you back to The bag to is fighting you, and you've mm-hmm. created a groove that you have to get rid of, resettle the bag, reshake it, make a good, you know, get it all to MPA for your rifle again. And now, if it's an MPA, it's going to shoot just like it was. But if you forget, that's the big problem. You will fight it, and you're going to miss back to where you came from. That's the way I always think of it. Yeah, and in those scenarios, this is this is an exact scenario that we had last last yeah. or this year at K and M. It was yeah, off it was the top of a rock. Yep. yep. And it was shooting towards the buses straight out, and then there's a forty five degree to the left target off in the another lane. And I was very deliberate and it was funny because I looked over at you 
and you had the plate on your rifle sitting there on the bipod and I <laughs> yeah. I was just bolting my plate on and I'm like okay we got the same idea here so it was points down on the um, the bag on the prop so that the flat surface was flat on top of the mm-hmm. bag and I, I took my time to massage the top of the bag so that I felt like it was on a plane that was flat that was perfect to both yeah perfectly parallel to the earth um, level between both targets between both targets yep and then when I shot the first target, um, watched my shot, and I actually lifted the rifle. I didn't even turn it because I figured turning it with that plate could still make the whole bag shift. So I picked up the rifle, set it down in the uh, direction of the other target, engaged that, and I picked it up back and forth each time. And it worked out great. It didn't take me long to get level, and it was very stable. So I, I think, I don't want to say that I don't ever use it, but I will definitely say that I prefer not to have the plate on my rifle because I can settle into that bag, super deep into the bag, and it's kind of like holding it in two dimensions. It's holding it front to back, it's holding the level, but it's also holding the pivot left and right. Correct. And I feel like the rifle you were talking about tracking, it tracks straight back a lot better if I if I have it like that. The bag with the plate on it, there's... There's voids underneath the plate with the weight systems and the pockets that are milled into it and stuff. And anything on that bag that's not symmetrical or the fill could be slightly different in different areas as you've settled it in. could cause that recoil to act differently. And it could resist you from getting level, getting on target, getting to the natural point of aim. Which, I mean, we'll talk about it in a different episode. But, I mean, natural point of aim is king. That's that's what I say all the time. Rifles NPA, bodies NPA, and it will hide a lot of sins. So, yeah. to me, everything I do is thinking about how can I get this rifle at its natural point of aim? And I feel like um, without the plate, I, I can do it with the plate, but without it, I can do it faster. Yeah, there's still a merit to having plates. If you're newer, you know, it helps you see and be more stable more quickly. And if you take it off and you find you're less stable, you're doing something different in your position and you're manipulating. You're not distributing your rifle well, your balance point is off, or you're, you know, you're not able to drive the rifle consistently. So it is a very good learning tool, and to help you get through the initial learning curve, it's a very good way to keep the rifle mm-hmm. more level between shots, as long as you take the time to level it the first time. The first time, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But I do like them. I just don't use them frequently unless the situation calls for it. So that said, you know, the, the bigger point that we're trying to make with the rifle setup, rifle setup is a direct link to how well you can drive and manipulate your life rifle and this gets down to the last i'm going to argue it's the the last two points that are the most they're the most subjective uh and they're they are very different in terms of style and they also end up in a sort of a philosophical camp that are a little bit different one what you're doing with your left hand and two how much you're driving the gun with your right shoulder mm. those two aspects highly and, debated and, and also your right arm your right hand so i get technically there's three because your trigger hand i know you so basically don't, you're talking about everything that includes it involves you you touching the <laughs> rifle so yes, it's, exactly but you know yeah exactly when all it the all important comes down stuff to, it, when you really think about it it all comes down we're, to you we're the, yeah, we're the, we're the common denominator yeah. um so i i prefer my left hand to be lengthwise straight along the side of the rifle 90% of the time. And it's because I like the bone-on-bone straight contact that occurs with my left shoulder, left humerus, forearm, and hand, and my thumb. If you were to look when I'm shooting, my from the tip of my thumb back to my shoulder socket. Straight line. Straight line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More often than not, it's absolutely straight. The only time it compromises is if I'm in a weird position that requires me to get 
really bent over or very tall and I have to blade to the target. There are times where I absolutely have to bend my arm a little, but it still has a straight line angle um, as much as I can, meaning I'm always trying to keep my thumb and my forearm specifically my thumb and forearm always have to be straight in line with one another whenever possible and you're clamping on a weight or on the chassis yeah i have a little wedge that i made um that's specifically built around my thumb it takes the place of a weight and it drives ergonomically into a pocket and it's about the center line of the bore i was shooting in 2020 at the finale i was in maddie b's squad um it was awesome uh, he, he burned it down, but mm-hmm. he, he, he did, he's taken a Dremel and dremeled out his foundation where his thumb rests. Yep. And it's very similar to what yours is. It's ground down in so that his thumb has another number one. It has a, a co it. It has a spot to go. Oh, that's the same, same every, every time. single time. But yep. also like I get the feeling that it's deep enough to where the recoil is also managed a By little the bit. The tip of your thumb. Yeah. Just like mine is. Yeah. Yep. And so that coupled with the fact that your line, um, your arm is all in line next to the the axis of, of the bore, the bore means that you have less influence because you're you're closer to the bore. You have Correct. less influence. You can clamp harder and, and have not, less and influence. not change something. Yes. Exactly. So that coupled with the straight arm makes me prefer the straight arm technique because I have less ability to influence the rifle's mm-hmm. direction. To be quite honest, and then under yeah. recoil, I have less chance of that to come undone. And then we talked about the handover scope. I don't have a problem with it. It just doesn't work for no, me. No, that's the 90% handover on the scope or on the over the scope is the 10% for me. There yeah. are times I had to use it in the dog or the cage that we shot off of at the Michigan finale. Sometimes had you can get your arm in on the left side. Correct. Yeah, you're <laughs> so tight to something on the left where it should be shot weak side, but instead you go, I can still make it. You get in there and it's not enough for you to straighten out because you have to blade to the rifle. Mm-hmm. Well, that's hand on top of the scope. The downsides for that is you are now, again, with talking balance points. If I place my hand along the left-hand side and it's at the a couple inches forward of the objective versus placing my hand somewhere along the, let's call it just forward of the front ring, pressure down on the ring, you're actually either just over the CG or approximately over the, or just behind it when yeah. you're putting your hand on your scope. That means that you have a different set of forces. So let's just say when your hand's forward, Everything is in perfect balance between you, the rifle, your head, your shoulder, all of that stuff. Now you just lift that and move it over the scope. You've likely added, you have a rear heavy rifle now. Well, it takes At more least, pressure to hold it down because you're farther, you're closer to that You're closer to the point. CG, so it takes more force, more force to keep it and probably a forward type of force as well. In yeah. my opinion, I think it feels like I'm pressing down and forward when but I do the, that technique. But on the plus side, you do have more leverage because you're farther away from the bore of the rifle you have, it's just different well, it just feels I don't know weird that you have more leverage necessarily because the leverage you have that way forward is what two inches above i mean two 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 and a half inches above yeah height of bore. and it's behind and it's behind so you end up have the two and a half inch away from cg torque whereas if you go hand forward i mean we're six seven eight ten inches forward of it so i have i can do 10 inches and control it with my thumb with the amount of pressure I need, I can put two, three, four pounds on it. Up top, you might need 10, 12, 14, 15 pounds of pressure to keep but, the rifle dead stable. But you might same, be able to three get to it five times more. You will be able to get it just because ergonomically you can it's, pull down. You can, you can pull almost down. use the weight of your body to pull down. Correct. <laughs> yeah, and then it just becomes a matter of learning one of those two. So yeah. now that's just the front hand, the rear hand. Um, 
I have experimented with the rear hand using kind of a driving upward force. I caught something that you were doing, and I still notice it to this day, and I'm not, I'm not quite there on which way works best. But your right arm is almost perfectly vertical. And I mean, it looks like a plumb bob coming off of the rifle. Your grip hand, from the grip hand straight down, I could probably hang a plumb bob and it would bisect your forearm and your, your upper humus or upper arm. Um, dead straight down the middle because you do put it so tight to your body and pin it up and down to keep the rifle still. I've noticed I'm more like a 45 degree and down into the right. Well, I'm guessing that's part of the reason that, you know, when you think about your right hand, you talk about not having influence and torque on the rifle. If you were to put your arm 90 degrees up and down, it's hard. You physically have to try to tip your hand, twist, push it left or push it right in order to influence the rifle. Yeah. If you put it chicken winged all the way out 90 degrees to the right, as soon as you grip it, you any pressure on the rifle is more likely than not going to be lateral mm-hmm. if you grab it. Whereas at 45, you're somewhere in between and you're probably high left, low right type of situation with the reticle motion. I like your approach the most. I've just had a hard time putting it into practice more often than not. And I'm hoping that I can see if I can find an effect that this actually works out to my advantage. Um, but that's where, you know, working to perfect your technique, if you find something that works for you where you can do it consistently, you should do it. But you have to practice it enough to know where the errors are coming from. This is where experimentation is critical with chassis setup, hand placement, pressure, uh, driving the rifle. I use a, the pad, the meaty palm fat part of my hand and my thumb effectively to apply upward pressure ever so lightly. About, I don't even know if I can quantify it, but it's it's more than zero and less than a pound. Um, enough that I can sort of catch the rifle with the upper part of the grip. It supports it and helps the rifle from want, once I break the shot. I, don't, I want it to just take the slack out of the fatty pole of my hand so that it's now has to go through my hand in order to go downward so that I can stop the reticle and the muzzle from going upward. So in doing that, it helps me keep the reticle more stable to the point where if I don't want the reticle to move, I can make it move zero on command. I mm-hmm. just don't like to do that because at times the targets are so small, you need to see exactly where you hit in order to make sure you're making a good correction. So I can go back and forth between spotting a shot and like no movement, but it's not ideal for lack of motion um, because you'll induce a little bit more wobble off of a stable, unstable prop. Those require less inputs. Um, so I go back and forth between those all the time and trying to get the best balance point between pressure to drive the reticle to stay still or no pressure to let the rifle stay still on a prop and just break the best shot I can and hope I catch the last second what happened. Nice. Yeah, it's definitely something to, once you get to that level of awareness, you can play with it. But I think a lot of people struggle with feeling what their inputs uh, look like in the reticle or how they're influencing it. They just know that, hey, their reticle moves different every time. Uh, I think it takes mm-hmm. a lot of, I think it takes a lot of dry fire, then it takes a lot of live fire to really figure out what inputs to the rifle give you the desired or undesired outcomes. I mean, I really feel like knowing what doesn't work is just as important, if not more, than what does work. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. When you're talking about my right arm position, it's not something that I'm conscious of, to be quite honest. It's something that my body finds because it's relaxed. And I think if you listen to your body uh, and you listen to the reticle during dry fire practice, you can 
you can flush out those things. But if you're just going through the motions and not really being critical of, of what's happening, yeah. um, you'll, you'll just end up just randomly having those <laughs> those that variation. And sometimes you do it awesome and sometimes you won't do it awesome. And I'm not saying um, that awesome is a specific way. I think everybody's going to be different in that regard. But when it comes to my grip hand, just to finish that off, I'm literally only pulling the rifle to my shoulder with the front, uh, my three fingers and in that first knuckle up against the center line of the rifle and the center line of the grip. Yep. And I'm just pulling straight back. I'm not doing any left to right support, up and down support. Um, it's pulling it to my shoulder yep. with, with like 20% of and the force. I would say we actually are doing the same thing there. So while I'm touching the rear, I'm also pressing the front of the grip rearward slightly with my front free three fingertips as well. Yep. So it's a pinch here and it ends up, there's pressure on the back okay. of my palm and also here. So we both do something similar there. I just also have that upward motion and it's very light upward pressure. Uh, but that helps me make sure that I have rearward contact with the rifle so that I'm pulling by, and this is kind of hard to explain. We talk about left hand controlling forward. Um, I have a little stop that's at the front, my, my wedge, if you will, for my left hand stops there at the front of my thumb. So I have like a hard stop. Well, if I'm pulling back with the three fingers on my right hand, that thumb is already locked up against the edge. I now have tension, like a bowstring, if you will, between mm -hmm. my front of my thumb on my left hand and the three fingers on my right hand. They're trying to press each other apart. I'm trying to pull the rifle away from each other. Mm -hmm. um, my the fatty part of my hand is pressing upward ever so lightly, and my shoulder is pressing forward. So I'm pressing forward ever slightly to keep the against the three fingers on my front my right hand. Shoulders pressing into those. My three fingers are pulling the rifle back into my thumb, and my thumb's trying to push it away. Those three, and then my cheek, my cheek wheat piece, cheek pressure is light enough that it counteracts the three fingers that I'm holding upward with. So I'm trying to neutralize all forces to be equal and opposite in all directions. That's the best way I can explain it. Um, and in doing that, which I don't. I don't know how I'm doing it per se, other than a lot of practice. But one thing I did do early on that really seemed to help was shooting a lot of extreme, it's called extreme change practice. Take your rifle, don't just barely touch with your left hand and shoot around off of a bag. Now do the same thing, but grip like crazy with your left hand, make one round. Take your right arm and push like crazy forward and make, basically make one big change shoot and let the reticle stop exactly where it stops. Don't bring it back to center. Just let it go to its peak and let it dead stop. Where is it? Make a note. And if you do that enough, you'll actually see where certain influences start to put your reticle and have a general tendency. Yeah, they're time. exaggerated, but you can assume if it moves slightly in that direction that it was that specific variable that caused it. Yeah. Yeah. I do the same thing. Um, it's, it's a lot of intuition over the course of a lot of practice and a lot of matches, though. I don't I, I don't think I really sat there and said, okay, now I'm going to try this. Okay, now I'm going to try this. It just becomes, you know, living increases knowledge type scenario where it's just, you've experienced these things and you just start to get these intuitions. But the way you described it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, we talked about how to balance your rifle by moving weights and barrels and stuff, but we didn't really say in this episode where we want it balanced, I don't think. And it depends on your bag, in my opinion. I was just going to say that. Yeah. So. Yeah. I know you've said you want it a little bit back from the center of the bag. I personally like it at the center of the bag or a little bit forward. So somewhere in that region of throw your rifle on your bag on a, a cattle gate or a narrow prop, set your rifle on it, and it should 
the balance point should be at the center or plus or minus an inch or so from the center yeah. of that bag. I, the reason I like the rear, just slightly rear, and again, it's, I'm not there actually. That's the plus one lets me get on it too with bipod off just behind it. Um, but that's why I've been playing with weighting a little more. The slight rear bias lets my right hand, um, if you've ever tried it off of a rope, right, or something that's really, really wobbly, if you put the support underneath your CG, the whole thing pivots. Like, it's got three axes of motion. Twisting, torquing, up and down, all the move, all the motion. All you have to do is move it all the way to the front of your forend, or even just for the sake of argument, hang it off your barrel, like right up against your muzzle brake, and just see how stable you are on target. The longer moment or the longer fulcrum lets you be, you have a smaller amount of leverage. The same way it's more stable to have your bipod all the way forward at the front edge of your chassis as it, than it is if you have it at back at your magwell. You know, you see a lot more motion. So the reason I have the, I like the CG just behind the bag is essentially the little notch in the bag or wherever that's located on a really skinny prop. Now my, that's my bipod, but I want to have my CG just behind it so that I'm not having a CG forward of that trying to tip over the rifle as I engage it. I want the weight to be more on me because at that point, I'm the other part of the, the rifle's stability. I want to be able to hold it up and take out any weight and I want the weight to fall to me so I can be the cause of stability, not the other way around, having to pull it down from the rear to keep it from tipping forward. That's my only thought. I mean, it makes sense, and it's. I think that's the same concept as why when people actually clip into a tripod, most people clip, clip like a little bit farther forward. forward. Yep. Um, similar kind of concept. So. Yep. I um, yeah, I haven't done a ton of experimentation with it, and I honestly, I really should um, taking weights out because I I think my rifle is just getting to a point where it's on the edge of too heavy. <laughs> And I would love to be in that 21-pound range, but I would have to reorganize my barrel profile and my weight situation yeah. just to get it there. But I do think the maneuverability of the rifle would be a lot a lot easier. The most fun I've had with a rifle um, in terms of weighting was that 23-incher that we did last year. I think it was 22. It might, I'm pretty sure it was 23 because I, I almost went four inches, and I'm like, I'm not going to. I can't. I can't do it. I had you cut it at 23, but the, the muzzle brake takes up almost an inch of that with the way we cut it. So it technically felt like the weight of a 22. Yeah. Right. Because of the threading. So all intents and purposes, that rifle felt like you could just whip it in and out and it wasn't a whole lot lighter. It was just that the mass was so much closer to the center that it didn't have a lot of torque. It didn't feel laggy as you moved it around, which was also the downside. Yeah. It was very snappy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because you think, oh, it's only three inches of barrel. No, it's three inches of barrel, but that three inches has about a pound yeah. on a straight taper. And that pound... And it came from the farthest point away from the point away from you. Point. Yeah, so my Maverick is closer. So it's effectively like shooting without a Maverick, but it's not the same because that's lower density. So it would... Yeah, it felt like it was moving around more. Um, I owe that barrel some time behind it just so I can confirm that I'm, I was doing my part to not have, uh, you know, recoil control issues or other. But I did really like the way that thing felt. Yeah, it was a cool experiment that I'm glad that I didn't have to do. Yeah. <laughs> you shot your ass off with that barrel, though. I you, did. You yeah, won some one, matches. Yeah, yeah. that was match. cool. 
Yeah, we're doing some other experiments now with barrels that I gave you a couple weeks ago. So we're not going to talk about that till it's done, maybe. And maybe yeah, we still maybe, won't even. Maybe we can after that. Yeah, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, so that's going to be fun, too. So, yeah, I got some good news. We are, like, a mile away from chicken wings. Getting Oof. pretty close, aren't we? Uh, I hope so, because remember <laughs> how you talked about when you gutted that elk? They had a huge full bladder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, now I'm the elk. Oh, man. You're not gutting me, but I have a full bladder, and I am ready to go. So... It's probably close to that time. I can tell my shoelace. I've been tapping my feet this whole time. I don't know if you can hear that, but I can. I, it made my shoelace come untied. So that's how vigorously I was tapping. You're my passionate feet. about this topic. I, I can tell. I really feel like it's one of the overlooked things, and I don't think people overlook it intentionally. I think that they don't know what they want yet. No, they and don't. That's really what we were trying to say with the chassis stock debate. Is um, at least the chassis is, uh, you can upgrade, <laughs> you can adjust, you can yeah. modify. I mean, you and I and are both Manners literally... Manners TCS, to be fair, Manners TCS is completely adjustable. Yeah. It has multiple ways Except in which the you grip can adjust is not, it. The grip is not adjustable. Uh, it's not. Okay. But all of that said, you know, you what, I, what we've done is just taken this to the next, next level. Yeah. Micro-analyzing all the details. This is not unparalleled in, you know, the shooting sports. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We are the only sport not doing this. In terms of shooting sports, shotguns, completely ergonomic setups with adjustable combs, twists, length Those of pulls, all that stuff. Rifles, like they don't even look rifles. like rifles. Same thing. <laughs> they look like these weird amalgamations of stuff, and they shoot 22s to 50 and 100 meters. Yeah. Um, and they do it very well. Um, the F-class guns, um, you know, all the guys who shoot silhouette, like every single sport that involves high-precision fast-paced shooting for the most part they have pistol shooting if you've ever seen like the, the race gonna, guns and stuff um, not the race guns the ones that shoot for groups at distance it's called bullseye shooting okay if you've seen those pistols man if you were to if you unmold your hand if you take your hand you and you see, see how it's like the perfect grip it looks like just a your hand is a part of a grip and yeah. it literally just fits around it it looks like a square or this oval and then you just unfurl your fingers and bam there's a hole exactly to your fingers like yep. these guys everybody who's done precision based sports with rifles and weapon systems seems to move more towards personalization and customization to their own sport and their own ergonomics we are doing nothing different we just have this sort of downside that our ergonomics have multiple ways in which they need to be shot we have to shoot prone like F class we also have to shoot off of really unstable props we have to shoot off of very stable props we need certain amounts of clearance you have yeah. different clothing different environments tall weeds uh, tall brush and grass like things that can get caught on things so we have limitations that don't allow some of the things that work in say biathlon shooting or F class they just can't work for us at least not efficiently for the other 90% of the shots that you would take so, I mean that's a good point, and I feel like that's what we're trying to say, and that's kind of what we're moving towards. And I do feel like, I, like I said earlier, um, I don't think anyone's specifically ignoring this unless they're super brand new. I do see people show up for their first match, and you set their rifle on a prop, and it would, you know, <laughs> it would it, just its tumble. balance point is like eight inches off or something like that. It's just yeah. wherever they bolted the stuff on, and and they took it to the Cabela's, and there's nothing wrong with this. They took had somebody else mount the scope. Like that's what we're trying to say is those types of things. Um, those types of elements of rifle setup can't be done by somebody else. They have to be done by you. And your understanding of those elements are going to be where you're successful and how you set yourself up for success as far as building 
NPA with the rifle, natural point of aim with the rifle. So um, all those things said, I think there's only a couple other things we talked about on the rifle that I, I hinted at at the very first statement of talking about your workspace, which is a dope card, a level, a timer, should you have a timer. Yep. Um, all those elements should be purpose-driven, 100% reliable, um, and neatly organized in your workspace so that you can see them all, but they don't get hung up on crap, like all those things. And we haven't talked about level in a long time. No, but, but we level, need to do a workspace yeah. podcast for sure. Okay. I think this is the perfect segue because the workspace podcast, between your level, creating your dope card, engaging your timer, when and how you should glance at it. Like there are some scenarios that I don't even bother there are a lot of scenarios where I know it's the only thing I care about, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the size of it, the position, and not just our, not just your timer, any dope card. Yeah. I've noticed some people who have dope card positions that are, I'm going to go out on a limb and say 99% chance it's costing them points. Yeah. I and agree. actually more than 99%. It's, it could it's, be blocking their view of the target yes, too. I, I have <laughs> personally witnessed that within the last week. Yeah. And I'm like, this is like a stop. billboard distracting you from doing what you should be doing, which is finding the target quickly and hitting yep. it. So, so I want to do a complete workspace breakdown because there are some downsides and ramifications of how that comes in downrange. That, we, yeah, I think we could tie miss. it into a pre shot or during the shot checklist too. I think that's a really good during, one. During, yeah. like, while the timer starts to when the timer ends, we could talk about workspace and let's talk about, um, you know, your process, your shot process. How about that? I agree with that. I okay. think that's good. Until we meet again. I like it. All right. See Chicken you later. Chicken wings.